welcome to Conversations About Life. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Conversations About Life. And I'm uh, looking forward to getting to know you. Same here and really appreciate you reaching out. I was, as I mentioned in, in Facebook, I was pleasantly surprised when you reached out. So, and obviously we've got our mutual friend, Russell Creed. And, right. um, you know, when you reached out to me, like I said, I was very, uh, very humbled, very surprised. So, you know, really looking forward to talking to you this morning. So from what I can gather through, um, some pictures I've saw of you and some things that Russell has told me about you. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're uh, living in Southern California, is that right? Yes, uh, in Orange okay. County. Orange County, okay. And um, it looks like you're really into running. And you you mentioned an ultra marathon, I think, that you were in not long ago. Yeah. And um, Russell told me that you um, were a part of a hip hop band and he sent me a link to one of your <laughs> tracks <laughs> many many years ago yeah many many, years, many ago. years ago okay well what do you do now well uh, as you mentioned i i'm in southern california i grew up here uh, in orange county uh, i was born in colorado springs just to give a little bit of quick context uh, i was born in colorado springs when my dad was in the army Okay. And then after he got out, we moved back here um, and been in Orange County ever since. Um, and I've been married for 12 years, uh, my wife, Megan, and I've got uh, two very uh, energetic kids, uh, Liam, he's going to be 10 this coming week. And uh, my daughter, Kira, she's eight. So um, besides my, my full-time job is a uh, I am in administration with uh, county council, so we represent the county of Orange uh, legally. So any lawsuits, any issues of that nature come up, um, our office comes in and, and represents the county, any of its agencies. So okay. board of supervisors, you know, the tax collector, the sheriff's department, um, you name it. You know, our office represents the county in those. Uh, those types of issues. So then are you an attorney? I am not. I actually um, start off as a legal secretary and I have my paralegal certification. So I'm a paralegal. Um, But my career track interestingly changed to more of an administrative role. And within the legal industry, the role of a paralegal has changed significantly I would say close to going on maybe 10 to 15 years now. So it's not just the legal support that we provide. Um, it's more administrative being technology, you know, technologically savvy. Um, so those are things that we really have branched out into to expand the knowledge base. So the industry has really changed. Um, and the roles of, of a paralegal, like I said, are just, you know, there are many. So you have a lot of stokes and different fires, so to speak. Well, um, Tony, um, this podcast is about um, um, uh, fundamental beliefs. And um, just a second, we might uh, 
Um, are y'all looking for something or? Okay. Hi. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for coming by. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Um, man, I'm, I'm in the middle of a uh, recording a podcast right now. I wish I could uh, just sit down with you and have a cup of coffee or something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Okay. You too. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no problem. That's great. You got people walking by and I can hear the birds chirping out there. My, um, you know, as a quick aside, my brother and sister-in-law live out in Ellisville. Okay. So they're out in that area. So I, you know, definitely know the area. And I just, I love that. I love that area of, of St. Louis out there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And we got a little bit of construction going on next door. So hopefully it won't be too much of a pro every once in a while we might hear a saw, but I think it'll be okay. Um, well, anyway, um, so what, you know, is the most important thing to you or like, what's your life all about? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are you living for? And just what's the passion of your life? I guess that's kind of, you know, um, let's, let's just start with that. Like what's your thoughts concerning that type sure. of thing? For me, um, you know, if you would ask me that five years ago, uh, I probably wouldn't have honestly been able to answer that question. Um, within the last few years, since I've made a lot of personal changes, I would say that to me, um, leadership is the most significant thing to me. And that goes into um, leading myself, leading my family, leading in the workplace, and then the community. I think we live in a day and an age right now in our culture, as we know, where leadership's a very rare commodity. And <clears throat> as a Christian, God calls us to be leaders. You know, right now I'm going through the book of Judges and you see the leadership that each of the judges, you know, from Gideon to Othniel to uh, Deborah, um, even to Samson, you see the leadership that was demonstrated in each of their lives. Yet they're human, they're fallible, obviously, just like we are. Um, and so I think leadership starts in the home and that's the biggest thing I've been focusing on is learning to lead myself, holding myself accountable to goals I set to be a better dad, a better husband, um, and just a more capable man being good at being a man, not just being a good man, but there's a difference there. I think in those two things, being good at being a man and for me, uh, my Christian faith is the bedrock of who I am. Uh, it hasn't been a perfect walk for me by any stretch, but it's always been something that I've always come back to. And so uh, the leadership aspect is so crucial because we have the opportunity um, to lead ourselves. And like I said, lead others, be an example 
And with that comes demonstrating how you lead, serving others. That's the biggest thing. So with leadership comes adding value into other people's lives. And I think that's a major um, learning lesson for me over the past few years is learning how to add value into others' lives, learning to serve them, learning to look for needs and do things that, quite honestly, the average person doesn't want to do. I think we also live in that day and age where um, serving others is a rare commodity too. And so we have to be the example and inspire others not only to lead, but also to serve. And so those are two key things that um, I'm working on right now. And it's a constant thing for me. And then the third thing is being capable. You mentioned the ultra marathons, you know, a, a few minutes ago, being in condition, being capable of going out to play with my kids um, having a nice hike with my wife, um, having mental clarity, you know, being able to be in a good condition where it also transfers into other areas of my life, um, that gives me the energy to do the things that I need to do. So the ultra marathons have been <clears throat> also a, a critical aspect of my life because I deal with anxiety um, if not every day, just about every other day. And I've dealt with that for quite a few years now. And so the ultra marathons, the running is an outlet for me to get that anxiety, get that energy out. And so that's why I started doing that. Um, the longest run to date I've done is a 50 mile ultra marathon. And I did that back in March. Um, I also ran the Grand Canyon uh, from South Rim to North Rim back in May. And a lot of training went into that. And I have fantastic people that I run with. Um, and so having that support has been crucial for me. Um, and then I recently did a 31-mile race a couple weeks ago down in San Diego. Uh, it was a very, very tough race. It was the second time I did it. Um, beat my prior time. And so these are things that push me out of a comfort zone. They keep me pushing for new levels of growth. And so I embrace the uncomfortable. Whereas before I wanted the comfort. So those are some really interesting things that um, I've learned over the last few years. And then finally, uh, the men's leadership group that I'm a part of uh, is called the Iron Council. And it's under the umbrella of a larger group called the Order of Man. And we go over various topics from fatherhood to stoicism to, um, you know, Judeo-Christian beliefs, uh, things of that nature, leadership itself, habit building. Um, and I'm surrounded by very, very awesome guys who hold me accountable to things that, you know, goals that I set for myself. Um, I can lean on these guys. I can call them anytime and they'll be there to listen, you know, to support me, to give me that constructive criticism, that feedback that will help me grow. Uh, whether it's tough love or it's just a listening ear, doesn't matter. And in turn, I do the same with them. So, and I've been a part of that for close to three years now. And so that's been a really, uh, 
transformative thing for me. And my wife's seen it. My kids have seen it. And so there's value in being able to receive and then also pour into other men's lives. So those are some things. Hopefully I've answered the question uh, that you gave to me, but those are some things over the past, I would say three, almost four years now that have really shaped who I am. So you said like five years ago, you wouldn't have been able to answer that question that I asked you about, you know, what's your life all about and so forth. So what made the difference? I mean, what happened to that took you on a different path? That's a great question. Um, Years ago, uh, I would say probably close to seven years now, um, I had made a career change decision and I had switched jobs and um, went into working with a family friend and it was a a promising career change. Um, Things looked really, really solid. Um, It was something that would allow me more time with, with family um, the schedule was, you know, really conducive to family, but hard work was expected. And that's something I've always, um, prided myself on, so to speak, is the work ethic. That's something I learned from my grandfather, from my dad. Um, and it's just, I've always just been a hard worker, just dedicated, loyal. And unfortunately things didn't work out, you know, with this particular job, um, I made some mistakes and there were also some things going on, unfortunately behind the scenes with the company, which led to it to shut down. That eventually brought me into a position of having to go out and look for work again. And I hadn't had to look for a job for years. And so I really struggled to find work and, uh, Unfortunately, we got into a pretty tough financial spot. Have my wife, have my kids to think about, and I was struggling. And I started spiraling down, depression, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of anger. Not necessarily toward my family, but at myself, because I felt like I had failed. Um, And it was so difficult at that point in time to see what was going on. You know, why did this happen to me? Well, over time, you know, it just festered. You know, I did start taking the anger out of my family. They didn't deserve it, you know. Um, And I started realizing, hey, my own inadequacies, my own anger over, you know, what had happened and the position we were in financially, um, really just upset me. And I was like, I can't stay in this position. I have to lead my family. And I, at first I had to come to the realization that I had to lead myself. I had to make a change in myself. And that's when I found out about, uh, the iron council. And I started meeting with, you know, my first team, um, 
the group is so large, we're broken down essentially into small, what we call battle teams, no more than 12 to 15 guys a team. And that began the change because I needed an outlet to talk to other men. I didn't have other guys in my life at that time. We weren't focused on going to church. Um, you know, my faith was just spiraling at that time as well. And so, you know, between the anger and, you know, the embarrassment of feeling like a failure as a, as a husband, as a father, and as a man, um, I had to be completely vulnerable with other men and explain where I was at and what brought me to the, you know, to the Iron Council. And so these guys came around me and surrounded me, encouraged me. And, you know, I'm still friends with these guys to this day. And a huge transformation started happening, not overnight, but over time. Six months, I was not the same guy that I was, you know, six months before. A year, I wasn't the same guy. Two years, you know, and now it's been almost three years. I am not the same guy I was back then. And the change started happening when I took ownership, when I took extreme ownership of what I needed to do to make a change within myself. Um, a lot of prayer, a lot of support in that aspect, I think was also crucial to my change. Um, but ultimately it had to start with me. I had to make the change and you know, I couldn't dish the responsibility off to anybody else. So that was huge for me. And to see how far I've come from who I was to who I am now, um, I can confidently say that, you know, that was, I think, the point at which I decided, hey, I got to do this for me and I got to do this for my family. I have to lead. I wasn't leading at all. So, you know, that is really what I think was the, the catalyst in my change to where I'm at now. So when I'm overwhelmed by life, I tend to pull back and just get alone with um, my journal or a piece of paper or something and just kind of start writing out what's going on in my life and trying to step back and look at it, you know, from a distance kind of rather than just while I'm all wrapped up in it. And, uh, that's, I don't know how helpful it is. It seems like it helps me get my bearings a little bit, but you know, when you were involved in, you know, things just going wrong and it seems like it was maybe like an overwhelming time. Um, is yeah. that something um, that you, you would also do or how did you, were there any particular ways that you would um, deal with the stress and so forth? I mean, you talked about anger, but is there, was mm -hmm. there any um, ways that, what was your approach for, feeling better during that time or just trying to, how did you try to respond to it and so forth? 
Man, you're hitting some really good questions here, Will. <laughs> um, quite honestly, I didn't have an outlet. Okay. I didn't know what to do. Um, as you mentioned, the the overwhelming aspect of um, the depression, and you know, I will, as somebody who went through that, um, you know, along with the anxiety, um, I can confidently say that those types of things are very self-focused. And so I think I withdrew from everybody and drew into myself and had that pity party. You know, I'm just being vulnerable. I'm just being upfront. Um, that's one of the things I've learned to, to really be over the past few years as well is just be more vulnerable. Um, so I didn't have an outlet. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe I need some meds. So I go to the doctor and, you know, I got prescribed some Lexapro just to help me take the edge off. So basically self-medication. Mm -hmm. But once I started exercising, I will say this. Once I started exercising, um, I started moving my body. And I think that along with, like I said, getting around, finding that accountability with other men um, in the Iron Council, that was something that I needed. And I began to use that as the outlet to help me deal with that type of stuff. Eventually the running took hold. So I went from just withdrawing into myself and holding it in, bottling it up, and then exploding at my family, um, which, you know, I, I am not proud of. That That was probably one of the lowest points of my life, if not the lowest that, quite honestly, I've been in. Um, but I say that because I know that I'm not the only one that deals with that. I know I'm not the only father. I'm not the only husband that deals with that. And so, you know, people that listen to this, uh, to this podcast, I want them to know, get out and move, get around others who you can trust to hold you accountable. You absolutely have to have that. That is so crucial. I didn't want that. I want to just withdraw into myself. But like I said, once I got around other men who I could talk to, guys who surprisingly related to what I was going through because they had dealt with pretty much some of the same issues, um, that is what I used as an outlet to help me deal with all of that. Eventually, you know, between the weight training and the ultra marathon running, um, that is really what has taken me to where I'm at now. Um, you know, I just love being outdoors. It's, it's a critical component of who I am and I don't take what's a pro anymore. I don't take meds anymore. Running is what helps me deal with that. The accountability with other men is what helps me be better and take a look at myself and be honest and look in the mirror and say, 
this is this area is not good enough. So you have to do a self-assessment and you have to be honest with yourself and say, these are the areas I've got to improve in. It's not good enough. So you have to also be honest with yourself. So that eventually is how I started dealing with it. But before, yeah, I just blew it off. And you mentioned you weren't leading at the time where now leadership is a, a big thing in your life. When I think of leading, well, I can relate to leading self because I do think about my life and, you know, how can I use my time more effectively and things like that. You know, I, I mm-hmm. give thought to that stuff. But leading is also um, other-centered, like you mentioned serving, and that's, you know, what leading is. And I feel like that in my own life, um, I'm not, I don't think of myself as a leadership a leader in that way. And I think it's because I feel so like there's so many cares to life. You know, there's all kinds of things that need to get done that are not getting done. And, yeah. and I'm constantly trying to, um, pull it all together and, you know, like plate spinning, you know, and try to keep them all spinning and, and, So it makes me kind of feel like, well, how can I be pouring into someone else's life because I'm barely, you know, hanging on to my own. And um, so that's that's the way that leadership seems like kind of beyond me. I mean, I think there's there are some ways that I'm a leader just because I'm connected to people in my family. So we talk and so forth. But. It does mm-hmm. seem like there is an obstacle to being more of a leader in that I got so much to deal with. I'm barely hanging on. How can I be <laughs> focusing on somebody else, really? you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, I think you you do what you can with what you have, yeah. with where you're at. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's an old, old adage. And I think even to this day, it, it still holds true. Um, for me, you know, I, I can definitely relate to that. I think what, you know, at work, I've got multiple areas that I'm responsible for and I have to time block. And so I found that time blocking helps me you know, manage things so that I, you know, like you're saying, you feel like the plates are spinning, that you've got too many, you know, things that you're juggling. Um, at some point the plates are going to fall and they're going to break on the ground, you know, because it's just too much. So one of the things that I have learned to do is just realize that, um, I control what I can and I cope with what I can't. Mm -hmm. And that's been a, a, a huge uh, thing for me in learning that. Um, I learned that from a, a guy I listened to. Uh, his name is Bedros Koulian. And he created, you know, Fit Body Boot Camp. So he's got a lot of these gyms across the country. And that's one of the things he constantly reminds people of is, hey, you can't control everything. So cope with you know, cope with those things, understand you can't control 
everything going on at one time, but there are things you can control your response to things. Um, you know, whether or not you decide to get up early in the morning or you hit the snooze button, you control that, you know, so things of that nature. And I think you can stack little wins that build the confidence in those areas. Um, one of the things that, you know, we, we have our kids do first thing in the morning to start off with a win, make your bed, make your bed. That's a win. Get up, get your breakfast ready, get ready for, you know, uh, they go to day camp during the summer. So they get up, they do their thing. It's not a perfect practice, but most days they do it. Um, so I think those are some things to, to keep in mind when it comes to the overwhelming issues that hit us, you know, so many things going on at one time. Um, having date night with my wife, that's another, you know, area that, you know, has been a, a challenge, but, you know, having my parents, you know, close by, we can take the kids over there and they can hang out with, you know, with my folks, you know, with my wife's family, um, spending time with my daughter, having daddy daughter dates, spending time with my son, you know, just having guy time. Um, again, not a perfect practice, but, you know, from a, a family perspective, blocking those times out to prioritize and do things they want to do. So that has been, um, those are some ways that I've learned to lead by letting them lead me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, and those are ways that I serve them. I give them the floor. I do what they want to do. My daughter loves frozen yogurt. So I'll take her to go get frozen yogurt. That just makes her day and she lights up because she loves it. Yeah. So, you know, those are some things that, that I found have helped. Yeah. Thank you. What, why Christian? You mentioned that. So why did you make that choice? Um, if it mm -hmm. is a choice, or I guess it is, um, even if you were raised in it, um, it's your choice to continue in it. So why that rather than something else? Or what does it mean to you? Um, you know, Jesus is the center, you know, what the Christian faith is all about. So what what mm -hmm. is it about Jesus or Christian faith that appeals to you that you're continuing in it? When I was, wow, I think I was like six, mm -hmm. my dad and I got invited to um, church by a family friend. Um, growing up in a, a Mexican-American household, uh, we were Catholic by culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> it goes without saying you're, you know, you're Catholic. Um, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic church. I got the sprinkle and everything. Um, and the family attended, I barely remember that, but you know, we were Catholic and eventually, uh, we were invited to, you know, one of the, the major churches back in the eighties, at least out here, uh, was Calvary Chapel. Yeah. And during the Jesus people movement. Mm -hmm. And so my dad and I started going, you know, in, uh, like I said, the, you know, the early eighties and 
we would go to, they had free concerts on Saturday nights and then they would do, you know, an altar call after, uh, after the concert. And, um, a lot of people were there. A lot of people, this was in Costa Mesa at the, basically the mother church where a lot of that was happening back in the day. And, you know, I remember going up, I was six years old, you know, I just dated myself right now with that, by the way. Um, but I was six years old and I nudged my dad and I said, Hey, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And he looked at me, he goes, are you sure? I was like, yeah. He goes, okay. He goes, I'll walk down there with you. So I walked up to the front of the church and I remember I was the youngest kid there. You know, everybody else was adults standing up at the, you know, at the front. And there was an excitement about it. There was something back then, you know, as a six-year-old, you, you just, you can't explain it. You're too young, but you know that there's something real about it. There was something genuine about how much they brought Jesus to life in their, their teaching. Um, but also how they lived, you know, and I'm talking about the leadership in the church and other people at the church that, you know, worked with the kids. Um, I had a really cool, a uh, guy, I surprised I remember his name. His name was Richard and he was, uh, part of the children's ministry guy had this huge flowing beard, just total hippie looking guy, but he was so cool. And I always loved going to his, you know, his Sunday school classes because he brought the Bible to life and he taught it in a way that all the kids were, you know, I remember everybody was just like listening, just like glued to what this guy was saying. So those are some very, very early memories I have of growing up in the church. Um, eventually we started going to, you know, to other churches, um, similar in teaching. Um, but I think as I got older, you know, I started realizing, have I really thought about what I believe in as opposed to just, it's the religion that, you know, my dad, uh, you know, my stepmom, um, you know, that they believed in. Why did I believe in it? You know, and, Quite honestly, I don't think I really started putting two and two together until I got older and, you know, more recently really examining why do I believe why I believe. So for me, it comes down to this. You look at other religions and again, this is just my opinion, just my viewpoint, but when you look at other religions, it's man's attempt to reach up to God. Whereas with Christianity, it's not only God's attempt, but it's his direct intervention into mankind. And through Jesus, through his son, he was able to relate to mankind while still being perfect down here. Um, of course, you know, over the years I've heard so many arguments against that. It's a fairy tale. It's this, it's that, you know, it's pie in the sky, you know, type belief. That's fine. 
And it's not my job to quite honestly argue and convince somebody about the veracity, about the, the inerrant truth of the Bible. Um, in fact, the Bible says one waters, one plants the seed, but it's God that causes the growth. So in other words, we drop the seed, we, t- you know, we chat, we talk to people about God and ideally we should be living it out so that people are questioning, Hey, what, what is different about this person? And then they start asking more questions about it. So you drop the seed. Somebody else may come along later on and talk to that same person and, you know, cause more conversation, more thought. But ultimately, it's God that intervenes and that person has, you know, that quote unquote come to Jesus moment, you know, in their life. And they realize, hey, this is for real. So, you know, that would be my answer to the question. Um, but ultimately, looking at it now, um, I will say this. I think that, unfortunately, the church is also divided. Um, and what, you know, I've heard called post-truth culture, it's not even post-modern anymore, it's post-truth. I Meaning everybody's got their own truth. You know, um, everybody's truth is just as valid as the next person's. We've had a lot of things come into the church, unfortunately, that I think have diluted the truth. It has diluted what is taught from the pulpit, um, a lot of secular ideologies. And I think that would be an entire podcast on its own uh, to go through those things. But when I grew up, we went from cover to cover in the Bible. We went from Genesis to revelation and we learned every book of the bible nowadays it's more topical and i believe that unfortunately and some of my christian friends will probably take a little bit of disagreement with me on this but i'm going to be bold and say this i think unfortunately we have a very spiritually illiterate church today because the full word is not being taught And what is being taught, unfortunately, like I said, has been diluted by a lot of secular ideologies. Um, God's word, again, in my opinion, stands on its own. It doesn't need human intervention. It doesn't need to be augmented. It doesn't need to be supplemented. It doesn't need to be viewed through um, a lens, so to speak, other than what God says. But we need to be receptive to what he's teaching us in his word. And so I think that's where we're at as in the church as a whole, as the church body, so to speak. So that's been a bit discouraging. And I've really been discouraged, but not surprised to see where the church is today. So you mentioned the hope that someone might have a come to Jesus moment, you know, those, that's how you phrased it. I've been wondering Mm -hmm. a little bit about that. If, if the acknowledgement or the understanding of sin is important in that, and I'm getting that mainly from my own 
um, experience because when I was a young child, I was trying to do whatever I could to get the experience that other people were having of being saved, of being changed and something happening. And it was all just a frustrating time. And then later when I was 18, I just, I had grown rebellious over the years and I had just come to the end of myself where I was just disgusted with who I was morally. And then Mm. like I did several years ago, but only at this time with the understanding, like, God, you got to save me from who I am. You know, this ain't just about heaven and hell. This is about me um, being a morally disgusting person. And you got to, you know, save me. And at that time, it was a life-changing experience. It was like guilt was just lifted from me. And I, I knew I was forgiven because it was like I just spiritually understood that um, I was forgiven. And that's when the Bible opened up to me and all of that. So when I'm just thinking of mm-hmm. other people, I'm just wondering, like, are they even ready for that moment, for that come to Jesus moment, if there's not like an understanding of personal sin, you know, and need to be dealt with. And I don't know about that because, you know, when Jesus went preaching, his message summed up was the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, um, have a change of heart. And I'm assuming that means about your allegiance, you know, give your allegiance to me, repent, you know, and, um, and uh, believe the, the good news, you know? So, it's not mm-hmm. like there's always that, you know, uh, word, there's not always the, that those words like you're a sinner and you, but perhaps they already knew. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but then sometimes Jesus was very upfront by, uh, about saying, you know, pointing out sin, especially among the religious leaders and the, those who were proud and arrogant. So do you have any... Yeah you know, thoughts about your interaction with other people and, or just your thoughts about the, the need mm-hmm. for people to somehow understand the whole, you know, the whole thing about personal sin and guilt and stuff before, you know, <clears throat> anything else makes sense to them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something you've th- thought about. It's just something that's been on my mind lately and I'm just been wondering about like when I'm interacting with people, sometimes I talk about the Christian faith and it's like, Oh, okay, that's great. And then we just go on. It doesn't seem to make any difference to them. And I'm wondering if that's the missing element, like, well, there's no need or it doesn't make sense if there's not like that sense of sin. I don't know. Any thoughts? Yeah, no, I think you, I think you, you hit on a good point. Um, One of the biggest things I, I think that, impacts, you know, those points that you brought up is personal responsibility. Um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, at the, at the start of when we, you know, when we began talking uh, as far as taking accountability for who you are. And I think a person has to come to a realization of, um, where they're at you know, just like you mentioned, you know, from your own personal, mm-hmm. you know, experience and uh, growing up, you come to a point where you realize, hey, uh, you know, 
I've been trying to do things my way. You know, it's the the Frank Sinatra syndrome, so to speak. You know, I did things mm-hmm. my way. Did it work? Right. Nope. You know, uh, your way did not work. And I think that there's a, a point in each person's life where they come to the realization. Um, and quite frankly, you know, again, just in my, in my personal opinion, that is between them and God when they do come to a point where they realize there's something much bigger than themselves. And I think it's uh, in the book of Romans where Paul talks about that essentially where he says, people know there is a spiritual realm. People know that there's something, you know, um, real about God, but yet they deny it. They fight it. So I think it's, you know, people coming to a point in their life where it's like, is there actually something real about this? Um, I watched a a video the other day of Jordan Hmm. Peterson and he was on a podcast with another gentleman and they were discussing this reality of God and Jordan Peterson, actually, he started crying. I'd never seen this video, but he said, it's terrifying. He goes, it terrifies me to know that there is a a strong possibility of essentially the supernatural interacting with our own ordinary physical realm. And for him to come to that realization, I don't think he came to that overnight. I think over time, you know, being the person that I think we all know Jordan Peterson is, he thoughtfully considered it. And I think in our own ways, you know, from that perspective, people will need to carefully consider who is God. You know, maybe they will take a look at a Bible and, you know, beyond John 3, 16, they'll look at the Bible and they'll go, what's this thing all about? Really? Is it just fairy tales? And when you start digging into it, you know, historically it's proven accurate, you know, it's inerrant. Um, and you look at the lies of the people and you're just like, dude, you know, I can, it's like, we're reading a story about what's happening today in the book of judges. The children of Israel kept messing up. It was a cycle of like 400 years. You know, they repented. Then they went back to messing up. And then they cried out to God. He saved them. You know, he sent a judge to deliver them. It was just this repetitive cycle. And I think that's being acted out today in our culture. And I think there's a point where, yeah, people do come to a realization that God is much more real than they had ever heard from other people. Ah, it's just a fairy tale. It's not real. And so I think looking at it from that perspective, yeah, it it really depends on the person to come maybe to a low point or just to a point of questioning, is this for real or not? Concerning the Iron Council, I'm familiar with that a little bit and the podcast, um, Order of Man podcast, I believe. I've looked into Mm -hmm. it somewhat. 
I never got involved because it's, well, for one reason, it seemed kind of pricey, but it seems like it has been a worthwhile thing in your own life. I also kind of wonder sometimes when I, I talk with other people, you know, I just kind of question sometimes their feedback and, and words maybe don't register with me a whole lot sometimes because I think nobody really understands my situation enough, I don't know, to really to be able to speak into it a whole lot. Now, it seems like for you, your mm-hmm. experience was kind of different in that there was some commonality where you felt like, well, they understand, you know, and uh, and that was helpful to you. But, you know, sometimes that's a little bit of an obstacle for me. It's like, uh, I don't know if, you know, but the others... Um, it's hard to kind of convey one's own life experience to someone else so that they can kind of give you their mm-hmm. viewpoints. But anyway, I can kind of see the, the, um, you know, I, I have experienced that to some extent, uh, to see the kind of understand the value of it. But anyway, it sounds like it's been a pretty, uh, helpful thing to you just being involved with these other men and has it all been virtual or do you get it together in person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the most part, it's, you know, it is virtual. Okay. It's online. Um, you know, even before the, the mm-hmm. pandemic hit, um, that's how it was set up. Um, the Iron Council is just about, it's nearing close to a thousand men. Yeah. Yeah. And it is growing daily, weekly, monthly. Um, and there's a lot to be said about that because there is a lot of, uh, powerful interaction. Um, and there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of growth that takes place Mm -hmm. within that. Um, by no means is it the only quote unquote, you know, men's leadership, um, masculinity type of, uh, outlet or group, what have you. I mean, there's, there's a ton of them out there, um, that are very similar. Obviously they have their own flavor. Um, art of manliness is, is another one that's been around Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, you know, and, uh, Brett McCabe provides a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. insight. Um, in fact, he influenced Ryan Mickler, the fa- the guy who founded Order of Man and the Iron Council um, in the early days. You know, and the Iron Council has been around for, wow, about a little over six years now. And so I think when you look at the background of why Ryan Mickler founded the Iron Council in the Order of Man. He shared a lot of commonality with, you know, somebody mm-hmm. like me. Marriage issues, fatherhood issues, um, lack of exercise, lack of motivation, depression, anxiety. Um, more and more, you're finding this. This is the story of a lot of guys 
and not just men. I mean, you know, uh, women as well. And there's also a lot of women's groups that do the same type of thing out there um, as what we have in the Iron Council. So I think you're really seeing a, an uptick as far as these types of leadership groups. Um, and that's just a basically an elevator speech type way of describing. And there's so many ways you could describe what the Iron Council is, but um, the best way to describe it is three pillars, protect, provide, hmm. and preside. And all three of those are service oriented. And what ultimately we're seeking to do is basically restore masculinity into our culture because for so long it's taken a negative connotation. It's really taken a hit from um, certain aspects of, you know, the social political realm. Um, the American Psychological Association, I think two years ago, <laughs> released this really, I shouldn't say shocking, but it was just an eye-opening study that said the old way of masculinity is outdated. It's quote unquote toxic. It's, you know, it needs to be reimagined. We need to redefine masculinity in a way that fits our current narrative. We need to get with the times. And so what you saw was an emasculation of hmm. masculinity. It was the complete opposite. And a lot of that, you know, comes from just different areas in, in culture, lack of fathers hmm. in the home. You have no strong, like I said, it goes back to leadership. You have no strong leaders in the home. You have fatherless kids that have no direction, no guidance. Um, single parent homes, maybe grandparents raising their kids. Uh, you know, raising their grandchildren. So this is why we do what we do. Um, we see a need and we're here to, you know, fulfill that need. And it starts with us as men, you know, the protection. It's not just physically being capable of protecting yourself, your family, your community, your coworkers, but I believe it also extends into intellectual protection, what we see going on in the public schools. Unfortunately, we have to provide intellectual protection of our, ki of our kids. Um, you know, we've got friends that are public school teachers and, you know, God bless them. They are under tremendous strain from the teachers unions as far as what's being taught in the classrooms. And as parents, we have to be on top of that because a lot of stuff is slid through in the public education sector, um, spiritually protecting our kids. Again, that's where the Christianity comes in. Um, so, you know, from that, you know, that perspective, those are things that fall within protection. Um, you know, my kids take Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They're learning a, a form of self-defense to keep themselves and, if necessary, their friends safe. So, again, it's not just the self, but it's also, you know, self-protection and protection of others. 
Um, you know, I've trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I'm not an elite practitioner of the art. You know, I haven't trained formally in, in quite a few years, but having a baseline knowledge, you know, unfortunately we live in the world we do. And so if you, you know, have to rely on that for protection, self-preservation, it's there. Um, and again, that, that could be an entirely separate podcast on its own going into that, um, presiding, having, you know, the precedence over your home, um, not ruling with an iron fist, but, you know, I work hand in hand with my wife. I seek out guidance from her, you know, so it's a mutual partnership, uh, within our marriage, you know, and that's taken time you know, to develop and it's still developing. Um, so serving my kids, serving my wife in that way, um, the leadership role that I have at, at work, uh, same thing, you know, leading and, and working with, you know, my colleagues there, whether it's the attorneys or staff, you know, um, my boss directly, you know, again, presiding over my position, um, and then providing the last pillar, um, providing, you know, financially providing food, shelter, um, providing, you know, those things for my family, working hard to make the provision. And um, those things are central to what we hold dear in the Iron Council. You know, and if you can't get the basics right on that, then you're going to have a hard time, I think, ultimately leading yourself, you know, so there's a lot that goes into it. Um, as far as the, the financial investment, yeah, there's been times financially where, you know, we have struggled to, to make that payment. Um, but we made it and I haven't regretted it. Um, so, and there's options within the Iron Council to help people out with that. If they are having a hard time, we back each other up as men because we value what we do so much. And, you know, I can't speak highly enough of what we do in the Iron Council. You know, like I said, I, I'm surrounded by powerful men on my team. Um, you know, our friend Russell Creed, Russell has been, um, man, he, he and I have talked a few times on the phone and he's just really brought so much to light as far as, you know, his experience as a dad, as, you know, as a husband, um, being in the workplace, things like that. Um, that has been transformative for me as well. So he has spoken quite honestly, very powerfully into my life, um, as have the other guys that I've had the, the privilege of getting to know. So I look at it as not only a financial investment, but a personal investment in what we do. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I'm at where I'm at yeah. with the Iron Council. Well, let's say there's a group of men, like a small group, you know, half dozen or eight or whatever. And they both, this resonates with them, um, being good at being a man and these three pillars you mentioned, you know, that all is something that resonates with them and they want to be a help to one another. So let's say they get together, you know, 
whatever, you know, on a Saturday morning for coffee. And what would that time look like um, from your experience Mm -hmm. with the group of men you're involved with? You come together and it's like, okay, here we are. And now, now what, (laughs) you know, what takes place? Is there any structure or, you know, how, Man, I love the, I love that question. That is such a great question. Um, one of the the key things we do to start off uh, when we do our calls uh, within our teams, we do a one hour call as a team once a week. So uh, my team calls uh, are on Sundays. You know, in the morning uh, we do have um, some international guys as well, so they're calling from overseas. Um, but one of the things we start off with is our wins. What was one win we had during the week? You know, so whether it was somebody got a, a new job, um, or somebody had a breakthrough at work, maybe they got a raise or they completed a, a huge project. Um, you know, that's been a, a win for me, you know, uh, real quick, just over the past couple of weeks, you know, completing, you know, some different projects that I've had at work. We're doing that because we're looking at how we're stacking our wins week to week to Mm -hmm. week to week. There's a buildup there. Um, We also share our struggles. What are things that we call, you know, up at nights, what's keeping us up at night? What is something that's going through our head that is, we can't sleep you know, what's causing us so much inner turmoil that, you know, we're thinking about it constantly is driving us up the wall. Um, so we discuss those things. And if we need to take extra time to go over that, we will, we'll go in depth. Um, maybe somebody's really having a personal struggle, you know, with themselves, uh, with family, you know, maybe with a child, um, at work, it, it could be any number of things. We'll take that extra time to go through that. And if we need to go over the hour, then we'll go over the hour. Um, You know, we'll keep the channel open if we need to do that or else we'll do what are called one-to-one calls. We'll follow up with another guy and do a one-to-one with that particular guy. So that way we can focus in and listen and devote that time just to one another. You know, and so I think those are some powerful things that take place virtually. Um, we have had a team meetup. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to to make it. Um, some of the guys, uh, in fact, Russell, I think, led a, a few of the guys on a hike. And I know that's that's something I definitely want to get out and, and meet up with the guys to do. Um, but they do meetups uh, with the team. Um the Iron Council as a whole has a meetup up in Maine, which is where Ryan, our, our, the founder of the group, lives. So they'll go up and do a, a larger meetup and they'll do different things for a few days. Um, and usually they don't reveal what those are until you get up there. So they keep you kind of in suspense. But you can expect that there's going to be physical exercise. Um, There's going to be some intellectual challenges. They have, I know they've got like keynote speakers that come up there. Sometimes it could be guys from the Iron Council 
that will speak. We've got guys that are entrepreneurs that are very well known within various, you know, uh, aspects of business. Um, guys that are doctors, guys that are pastors. Um, again, just, it, there's so many guys that comprise what the iron council is. And even though the IC itself is based on Judeo-Christian values, we've got a ton of atheists in there. We've got guys that are Buddhists. You know, we've got guys from all aspects of life, all ethnicities, social strata, financial, you know, economic strata, doesn't matter. You know, it, anybody that wants to come in and change your life, come on in. You know, so it's it's open to guys that really want to make that change. Um, and each team, I will say this to, to kind of wrap it up. Each team has its own name. So our team name is the Brethren. And our team ethos is from H.L. Mankin's quote. I'll probably butcher it, but it's a very powerful quote and one that I think a lot of people will recognize when they hear it, which is there comes a time in every man's life when he needs to spit on his hands, hoist the back, the black flag and begin slitting throats. Now, when you hear that, people are like, whoa, you know, that's pretty intense. But what it gets at is the fact of, you know, taking matters into your own hands taking the proverbial bull by the horns. So, you know, that's what Mankin is essentially getting at. Um, don't compromise in who you are and what it is you want to go after. And so that's just, you know, that's just our team ethos. There's many other teams that have different ethos. Some of them have it in Latin, which is pretty cool. Um, the prior team I was on, our ethos was centered on character mastery, discipline, and service. So each team, like I said, has an ethos of value and we hold ourselves to those standards. And if we don't, then we start calling each other out like, Hey, you said you're going to do this. What happened? So there's accountability and, you know, ultimately that's what happens within the IC, you know, so there's no, uh, ritual initiations or anything like that, that happened behind the scenes is just, you know, you start and, you know, you, you step in and you go for it. There's one thing that I'd like to ask you about before we just wrap up. And that's um, something you said earlier about being, being, getting good at being a man versus mm -hmm. just being a good man. So I'm just kind of mm -hmm. curious about what you mean by that. Like mm -hmm. what kind of dis, what are you trying to distinguish by saying that? That comes from a book that a gentleman by the name of Jack Donovan wrote. And that book is called the way of men. And it's pretty eye opening. Um, when you read it, because he goes through the aspects of masculinity over the course of time. And one of those, you know, one of the, the key points he hits on is, you know, mastery. 
Um, another key point he hits on is courage. And those are some of the things he calls tactical values. And what's important to understand about the difference between being a good man and being good at being a man is hmm. capability. Um, and I think I mentioned yeah. that a little earlier too. A, ma a major part of leadership is capability and availability. You need to be capable. Um, you know, whether that means you learn how to change the oil in the car, change a flat tire, um, you know, make breakfast for yourself, you know, other than just, you know, eggs and a bowl of cereal, um, being capable of being a man, um, you know, do you have to do like, you know, some handyman work around the house or, you know, maybe repair some plumbing. You know, I remember doing that years back. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know how many trips I took to, you know, uh, true value hardware up the street to go and change out some plumbing under the sink. But I figured it out and I did it. And then I used, uh, you know, the almighty YouTube to, to help me out with that as well. But I got it done. Um, I think exploring new avenues, being willing to look foolish up front in order to learn something new, making yourself capable in areas you didn't think possible. Um, you know, again, it goes back to the three pillars, protect, provide, and preside. Are you capable of protecting yourself? Are you capable of protecting others? Um, again, in the culture we live in, I'm not saying every time you go out, you're, you know, you're on edge and you're like, oh man, is somebody going to like attack me, attack my family? But having that confidence of being able to actually protect yourself, um, you're capable. And then also passing that on to your kids, to your wife, um, just having awareness, you know, your head on a swivel, so to speak, knowing your surroundings, knowing where you're at. Um, so that factors into it. Um, and ultimately, like I said, leading yourself, having the capability to get up in the morning and, you know, be consistent with commitments you make to yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. And so you have to be able to lead yourself before you can lead others. And so I think, you know, being capable in leading yourself, um, you know, things like that, those really factor into um, being good at being a man, serving the most important thing, finding where the needs are at. How can I meet this need? I don't know how to meet this need. Who do I need to contact to help me figure out how to meet the need? I'm constantly doing that at work every day because there's new things that come up. And I love finding the need. What does my office need? How can I serve the attorneys? How can I serve my colleagues? How can I serve staff? How can I serve people at all levels? You know, um, digging in and finding those needs. I think that's what makes you good at being a man. Um, having humility, having vulnerability. I'm not saying spill all your guts out, but 
you know, in our talk today, you know, I mentioned the struggles that I had, you know, over the past several years, especially with the depression, the anxiety, the anger. Um, that's not something I would be readily open to discuss, you know, a few years back. But now I'm realizing that to be good at being a man, there has to be an element of vulnerability to you. Yeah, I got a ton of chinks in my armor, a ton of them. And quite honestly, I think I've had more failures and successes. But I think that makes me good at being a man because I realize I'm not the finished product. And so other men have to be able to trust you. People ultimately have to be able to trust you because they see that you're capable of doing things, of expanding your knowledge, learning new things. You're humble. Um, you want to help. You're genuine about those things. So I think that is what is, you know, the, the difference maker there between the two. Concerning capability, that resonates with me. Well, I, I see the connection between that and masculinity, um, being able so that people can depend upon you and look to you. But I also see capability as something that will probably slip away unless uh, something takes our life uh, before then. Um, for example, here mm -hmm. I'm uh, turning 54 this year, and I'm not able to work as hard uh, physically as I could in my 20s, for example, at this point, but I have more experience. So that's a, a plus. So mentally, I might be more capable, but even that might slip away before my physical body <laughs> does. You know, we just don't know. And it, and it doesn't mean, Yeah. I think, you know, it doesn't mean that I will be less of a man then, but it, it will mean things will be changing. And, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, except that um, it, it makes mm -hmm. me wonder about um, thinking now about the future and how to be the best man I can be thin. And, you know, how can I prepare for that? What, how, how can I be okay with it? And things like mm -hmm. that. So I don't know what to, you know, do with that. Um, it's just that that's the way life is and not sure what else to say about it, but. Um. Yeah, I think you bring up a, a great point there. I think is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm 47, you know, I'm mm -hmm. nearing 50 and you know, I definitely like when I go out for, you know, my runs, uh, with my team on the weekends, um, I run with folks that, you know, one of the, one of the guys is, uh, I think he's 55, you know, another, you know, two of the, the ladies that I run with on the team, um, they're in the early fifties. Um, but they're, mm -hmm. we do what we can. And I think you course correct when you hit certain milestones in life, so to speak, that's an opportunity to course correct. Um, and that's one of the things I think that's 
as far as uh, I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I stopped training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I found that it was at a certain point, I just, I had no more explosiveness. I had difficulty moving my body around like I used to when I was younger. Um, and I had a very difficult time recovering. And so I think running, you know, and just looking at the recovery aspect of things and mobility, that's so important and keeping up strength. You know, those are things that I think have really helped me, you know, as I get older, um, you know, and as, like I said, with the running, you look at how, you know, your body changes. Um, and so you have to figure out a way to adapt and course correct. Uh, we had goodness. I would say a big chunk of our field that I had in my 50 K race a couple of weeks ago, uh, that was about 31 miles we had a big chunk of folks that were between 50 and 68 wow. years old. So, um, and then they had a, what's called the Western States race, uh, recently, you know, it was just last week. Um, and that's one of the most difficult hundred mile races internationally up in Northern California. And they had a gentleman out there that was running. He's, I think he was 78 wow. years old, 78. Now he didn't finish, but he got pretty far. And then they had other, other, you know, folks out there running, you know, again, their sixties, their seventies, um, fifties. Mm-hmm. So it's possible, but you just have to, I think, recalibrate what, you know, what it is you do, where you're at. Um, so it's, it's just framing it in a different way of, being able to do things, you know, as you get older. Right. So at least that's what I found, but the recovery mm-hmm. aspect is massive. I appreciate your attitude about being vulnerable, being upfront. Uh, that is something that, um, I value as well. I find that it mm-hmm. can be exciting and energizing to say the truth as clearly as possible and there might be times when that's not always appropriate. Like, and I think love can mm-hmm. kind of govern that. Like maybe it's not the loving thing just right now to say the truth as clearly as possible, yeah. but, but otherwise it seems like that's a way to go forward in life. Um, like what to do in this situation. Well, let's just, you know, do the most true thing or say the most true thing as we possibly can just as clearly as possible. And it's kind of a way to go forward in situations where we're not sure what to do. And, and it's an adventure too, because you don't know where that will lead you. Um, when, when we shade the truth, it's normally because we're trying to have some control over where we're going. We're trying to protect ourselves or we're trying to get somewhere by um, ensuring that someone thinks about us in this way or that way. And we're, we're trying to get something out of it, but we're trying to be in control. When we uh, speak the truth, it's almost like mm-hmm. we're trusting, it seems a little similar to trusting God. Like we're just trusting that 
uh, you know, things are going to work out. Uh, we're putting ourselves into God's hands in a way because we don't know what, what the truth is going to, where it's going to take us and what's going to happen because of it. All we're concentrating right. on is the truth, not necessarily what happens because of it, you know. But anyway, um, I appreciate your thoughts about all of that vulnerability and and your attitude about it. So thanks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, again, I'm just really grateful to sit down and have a, a, a talk with you on, you know, a gorgeous Friday morning. Um, you know, it's been a, a blessing for me um, to be able to do this because it gives me a chance to, you know, uh, share not only a little bit about who I am personally, but um, hopefully it it speaks into somebody's life that has similar experiences, um, similar struggles, you know, cause we all do, like I said, we've all got chinks in the armor. Um, and those are, you know, proof of battle. You know, we, it, it is a battle, um, that we go through daily. So, um, again, I'm, I'm really grateful and, and thank you for reaching out to me and, you know, inviting me on your podcast. It's, it's really been, uh, great for me to, to talk to you and um, learn from you. I've been taking notes as you've been talking. All right. So, well, thanks, Tony. It's been a good conversation. I've enjoyed it. It'll be one of those conversations I'll be re-listening to. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.